Kui, darling. I'm Glyn Fussell, and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. I'm delighted to bring you stories from people who have achieved massive levels of inspirational wonder. From climbing mountains to revealing their inner secrets, come with me on a journey of discovery to find out what makes these people my heroes, and I guarantee they will be yours too. Coming up next, we've got someone who has devoted her life to helping others. Creator, founder of Choose Love, it's Josie Norton. There was never a strategy. It's been driven by outrage and love. I am absolutely thrilled that I'm getting to talk to you, someone who I love so unbelievably dearly. And I'm just going to tell you now, the first time I ever met you, I was really blown away by how much joy you radiate. That's nice. (laughs) That's a really nice thing to say. So I think we should talk about the amazing work that you do and that moment when you decided to make real change in the world. Because Choose Love is now the largest grassroots distributor of aid in Europe. And it's just helped over a million refugees. How does, how, does, how does that feel, friend? It's a really strange thing because this work is always about looking forward and there's always more to do. And so it's only been, I'd say, the last year where there's been like a bit of space for moments of like, wow, this amazing thing has happened and there's been so much impact. And Choose Love exists as its own like organism in the world now, which was never the intention. The intention's only ever been to just try and help. So it feels very lucky. And you started this with the lovely Birdie. Yeah, with Birdie and Dorno Porter. And obviously it started in 2015 in response to what was known as the jungle in Calais. So what was it about that particular thing that was going on that that really triggered you to make that leap and make that change? In 2015, I was actually working as a PA to the manager of Cold Bay. And I was living in Los Angeles and I was home in the summer in August. And that was when the term the refugee crisis got coined. So in that summer of 2015, a million people arrived in Europe looking for sanctuary and they were fleeing war, conflict, persecution. And it was primarily from Syria, but also from Afghanistan, from Iraq, from Iran, from Eritrea, from South Sudan. A lot of the camps that we work in, there'll be like 25 nationalities At that time, it was the main story in the media. So we were all seeing these images on the news of families cramped into dinghies in the sea, of people living in just such awful conditions. And so the idea was originally to put a night on at the Groucho, but that ended up becoming an online crowdfunder. And then I put a status on Facebook, we put a status on Facebook, saying, did anyone have any spare tents or sleeping bags, stuff from festivals? And so many people said that they did and then was like where are we going to put it all so I went to a big yellow storage in Finchley in my lunch break and asked if they would give a room free they said yes then Birdie's sister actually had the idea of why didn't we do an Amazon wish list so people could buy the tents and the sleeping bags new and I got a phone call from the big yellow storage who said uh, Amazon have called and you've got 7,000 packages arriving tomorrow. Whoa. <laughs> like, shit, we need volunteers. So I turned to social media and then people from all walks of life just showed up. And before we knew it, we had 17 rooms full of aid. We had 56,000 pounds raised in the first week. And went to Calais to find the big organization that we would hand this all over to. And there was no big organization. So we were like faced with this situation and 
seeing human beings living in conditions that I just never imagined to see with my own eyes and in that moment it was like right well we can't unsee this so we rented a warehouse we started a distribution system and a shelter building program and it's just been a mad mad journey ever since i'm so in awe and i think sometimes the the most passionate projects and the biggest leaps come out of a reaction to something that's not happening and a frush and a frustration with a system that's broken yeah. and not working I always say the communities that we're working with are vulnerable but it's not because they're innately vulnerable they're being rendered vulnerable by governments and by oppressive systems and if we were in their situation we would be equally as vulnerable and there's another thing I get asked quite a lot is what was the strategy to get it to be an organization that's raised this much money that's working in so many places and the answer is there was never a strategy it's been driven by outrage and love. Do you ever have moments where you feel completely overwhelmed? Because obviously you started this with love and a desire and a want, but that can only really take you so far without needing a team and just needing support. Yeah, I would be lying if I didn't say that over the last five and a half years, there's been times where it's like, it feels too much and myself and other team members have driven ourselves to burnout and that's no good for anyone and so over time you learn how important it is to look after yourself how important self-care is and how do you do that recognizing in yourself when you're overwhelmed and you're tired and saying I need to take a couple of days off or taking weekends never used to take weekends so taking weekends is so important all the cheesy things bars candles therapy is really important we really try to create a culture that well-being is so important and self-care is so important and we all have to hold each other up because it is hard there's so much stigma and myths around border control immigration refugee crisis and that's put out by the media by the governments and trickles down through society so what are the big myths that you would love to dispel and you would love to let people know? There's so many things that I'd like to call bullshit on. Well, now's your chance. First of all, one of the kind of things that this government especially is peddling out is that it's criminal for people to be coming here and claiming asylum. And claiming asylum is not a crime. It is absolutely people's right. Something that you'll often see in the media is why didn't they claim asylum in the first safe country that they arrived in? That is a myth. That is not true. People have the right to claim asylum in this country. This is always a tricky one, I think. You often see in the media, or I've even had family members say this to me, aren't people economic migrants? And actually, every human being deserves the same opportunities and the same rights. So whether they're a migrant or a refugee, to me, doesn't make any difference. But it is important. There is a distinction. The Refugee Convention is important. People are claiming asylum because it is unsafe to live where they came from. People don't want to leave their homes. People don't put their children in a boat unless the sea is safer than their land. And I think it's really important that people open their minds up to understand what people have been through and that actually these people are so resilient and tenacious and have crossed borders to protect their families and give their children opportunities and those are exactly the kind of people we should want living in our country. I've seen some pretty horrific things I think we all seen pretty horrific things in the news but I feel like we only see one side and it's a sensationalist side that doesn't really tell a human story and it worries me because we're dehumanizing these people. I think we're so conditioned to think 
of people as victims. Yeah. So I'd love to hear some success stories because there are millions, I know that. And I'd love to think that that's what keeps you motivated. It absolutely is. The inspirational people that we meet is 100% why I get up every morning. I'm sitting here as a white British woman. I can't talk on behalf of other people. And it's really important that people are telling their own stories and that we're amplifying voices. And with our Choose Love platform, we really try and do that. Mm. We work with an amazing man called Imad, who some people who are listening might have been to his restaurants and tasted his falafel. He ran really successful restaurants in Syria, in Damascus, and had to flee. He was separated from his wife and children. He was in Calais, which is where we first met him. He was a refugee. He was living in the camp, but he was cooking for others and volunteering to support others, even when he was in the most desperate of circumstances. He then made it to the UK and his wife and children were able to come and join him, which is just amazing. He set up some falafel stalls and then we opened a restaurant together in Columbia Road for six months. And he raised money for Choose Love through his restaurant. So he's raised over £200,000 for projects inside Syria back in his home. Another one of our partners, Aloysius, the founder of Say It Loud Club, he is from Uganda and he claimed asylum in the UK because of his sexuality and the process that this UK government put him through and put so many others through is obscene, it's awful, it's horrendous and he found navigating that just so awful and he was working as a nurse in the UK and then using his earnings and in his spare time he set up a community called Say It Loud Club to help other people who were going through the system in the same way that he had and we have worked with him for a number of years he does it full-time he is one of the most inspirational people I've ever met. Uh, We've spoken about him before and I um I want to talk about privilege actually because I'm a gay white man that lives in this country and I see that as a privilege in itself, much like you do, because I think about other LGBTQ people around the world that cannot even exist. I mean, literally, let alone uh, live their life. They cannot even exist. They're invisible or, or worse than being invisible. They're being persecuted or even killed. And so when I hear people casting a kind of you may come in you can't come in I it just blows my mind these are people in a life or death situation it's such a big question this is but on a small scale what are the easy steps that we can do as humans to help this situation and then what does this bloody government need to do to change this for individuals I always say the three things that people can do are educate first and foremost and that's educate yourself and then once you've done that educate other people have conversations have difficult conversations with friends and family and it's by changing hearts and minds ultimately that things are going to change so watch documentaries exodus is amazing documentary you can watch on bbc iplayer find out why people flee their homes read articles advocate is the next most important thing to do Policy only changes when the people push for that policy to change. So we have to be writing to our MPs and saying these are issues that we really care about. We need to be 
signing the petitions. We need to be joining communities who have got multiple different advocacy actions. We need to be sharing messages on social media. We need to be open to being wrong and changing the language that we're using and really, really pushing for change and holding others to account and holding ourselves to account. And then donating is just something if people are able to do, it's so helpful. And that's how a lot of these grassroots organizations run and people can donate to Choose Love or they can donate directly to our partners. But, you know, again, we're sitting here in the UK and it's really important that we democratize wealth. The communities that we work with, they have the answers of how to get themselves out of those situations. We don't need to parachute in. We just need to to fund their organizations. And I think it's really important that there's like a movement in the aid sector as well to fund organizations who are led by those with the lived experience of forced displacement and funding in communities where possible so people aren't forced to flee if that's one of the the reasons um so there's there's so much we can do volunteer if it's not times of covid local mutual aid groups refugee welcome organizations think about things that you're buying buy products that are made by people who are refugees or think about the businesses that you're putting your money into so there's there's so many things that we as an individual can do and then governments governments need to stop using immigration and asylum as a way to keep themselves in power and kind of using this mechanism to create fear which is why they do it they know that this country isn't overrun Mm. but they just know that that message works i often feel that the way that the media reports and the government pushes out the kind of narrative of a refugee is very similar to someone breaking in your home it's like yeah. we're going to come and steal everything from your home we're going to take your baby um yeah. it's so damaging i think we sometimes disconnect with the root of a refugee so i would love to know a bit about that let's take someone from syria yeah before they get to these camps in calais what does that route look like for them what do they go through no human being should have to go to go through this. So I will piece together things that I know from different people's stories. There's a film that I really recommend everyone watch called For Sama, which is by an amazing Syrian female filmmaker called Wad Al-Khatib, who filmed everything that happened to her and her husband, Hamza, who ran a hospital. But essentially, it's 10 years since the revolution in Syria. In 2011, people asked for democracy. And the regime, the Assad regime in Syria, met that ask with violence and it bombed its own people. And again, you can see online the absolute devastation. Barrel bombs were used, chemical weapons have been used against a civilian population. Hundreds of thousands of people have lost their lives. The regime got then backed by Russia, by Iran. The global community completely let the civilian population of Syria down and people had to flee for their lives. People lost family members. People saw the cities that they called home completely decimated. People then on foot by other means, then traveling to a border, perhaps border with Turkey and then entering into Turkey. People sold all their possessions that they had. People get separated from family members. And then people are trying to make their way to somewhere safe. And then people might 
then take a boat from Turkey to Greece. Now, you and I would be able to get a ferry for 10 euros, but the Syrian passport got rendered as a not good passport when the war broke out. So people were paying thousands to be put onto overcrowded dinghies so that the smugglers can make a huge amount of money. These dinghies are often not safe because there's so many people on them. They often sink. So many people have lost their lives in that sea. And then they find themselves in camps in Europe. So people are making money as well from the refugee crisis. People are making an industry out of refugees. A hundred percent. And what I always find amazing is, especially this government always talks about wanting to crack down on organized crime and on smuggling and on trafficking, but literally not having safe and legal routes as a way for people to claim asylum is pushing people into the hands of traffickers and smugglers and all the risk that goes with that. And again, putting money into into organized crime. Wow. It's just so devastating. The thing that really resonates with me is, is breaking families up, breaking loved ones up all we want is to love people all we want is to be loved in return and then for that to be torn apart I can't imagine a world where my family was taken away from me I can't Mm. imagine a world where I didn't have the right to love somebody that I loved and surely we're lacking just human empathy and fundamental loving another human Yeah, I feel like lockdown and the pandemic has maybe given, I hope, people an empathy with the situation that refugees face of borders being closed and you literally aren't able to be with your family. The only way that you can speak to them is via FaceTime and that's if you have a phone and if you have access to the internet and money for Wi-Fi and children are separated from their family members and I find it over the years we've been involved in so many different campaigns in this country to fight for the rights for families to be reunited for the right for unaccompanied children who find themselves here to have the right for their parent that they're separated from to be able to come and join them and it feels mad to me that members of parliament when they're like given a piece of paper I'm obviously oversimplifying things but would you like unaccompanied children to be able to be reunited with their parents yes or no and people tick no this is not humanity this is not human I feel like a lot of the work you've done with Choose Love is it feels like an organisation for now. I feel like it's such a perfect name, Choose Love, because all the decisions, everything you do, everything you put out is with love in its heart. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to continue to grow because I do feel we're in a polarised place in the world right now where Mm -hmm. we've been force-fed misinformation for so many years. And I think that people, through the pandemic, actually, have... We've had time to pause. I, I would like to think, maybe slightly idealistic, but that the world has healed itself somewhat. Mm, I hope so. I want to talk about the pandemic because refugees are still struggling. There's still pain out there. Yeah. What's your first-hand experience of that? So when the pandemic broke out, straight away, you know, the advice is self-isolate, wash your hands. And when you live in a refugee camp that's overcrowded, you might live four generations in a tent and you might be in a space that's capacity is for 3,000 people, but there's 20,000 people and there might not be access to running water and you might not have soap and you might not have access to medical care if you do get the virus. So we were so worried about the virus itself and working out how to respond. We were funding increased medical infrastructure, funding importing PPE, soap, sanitizer, trying to get people out of camps, trying to create areas where people could isolate. 
But then there were all these unintended consequences. So global funding for refugees got less because there's so many needs everywhere. The services that people so rely on, community centres and education spaces and safe spaces for women and all of these services were no longer able to operate. And so organisations are amazing and try to make things be online. But of course, it's not quite the same. We've all found, well, I know I certainly have struggled with my mental health over this last year, but when you're already been through so much or living in a refugee camp and now the pandemic, mental health is is so important and then there's not access to the proper support services. We've also, over this last year, we saw a huge fire in the camp in Greece. We've seen earthquakes, a mini tsunami. There was an explosion in Lebanon. So there's just been like a lot going on and then on top of that we were so worried people are losing their jobs are people going to be able to donate are we going to be able to fund the response but I cannot tell you how generous people have been this last year and every fundraiser we've done people have been donating and going above and beyond writing messages saying you know I'm having a hard time but I know that people must be having an even harder time and I can't afford much right now but here's five pounds just totally heartwarming and amazing and we actually raised more money last year than we've ever raised before which is so nice oh that's unbelievable I mean, maybe that does throw back that we're taking a pause and this is exactly it. I've tried not to complain through this whole thing because you know what? I'm dry. I'm okay. I'm wearing clothes. I'm with my loved ones. Yeah. It's a moment of reflection, Mm. but I do think, I hope we're going to all come out of this with a bit more empathy, a bit more compassion and our work and the support of Choose Love, I really feel like is evidence of that. I couldn't agree more. I mean, reflecting on the work that you've done, what is the work still to do? I mean, you are a dreamer. You've created this wonderful organization that's done such good work in actually a very short time. So where is left to go? There's a lot of work still to be Mm. done. Our vision for the organization is a world that chooses love and justice every day for everyone. There's a lot of work to create that world. We added in that justice part because giving someone a coat who's living in a camp, that can be an act of love, but ultimately that person should not be living in that camp Mm. and they deserve the same rights as all of us. So we have to fight for that equity and that equality as well, which is why justice has become part of the vision. So for us, as long as we're needed, we'll still be here doing this work. But ultimately, we obviously want to put ourselves out of a job. We don't want to exist. But with displacement on the increase I feel like there is going to be a need for the work that we do I really believe that funding getting to grassroots organizations who are really doing the work is how we will make that change so we're going to continue to do that I mean we're just I keep talking about like I'm a pop star um but we're trying to break America (laughs) um (laughs) we have increased our work at the U.S. Mexican border there's a a refugee crisis essentially at that border and people don't they talk about it more in terms of immigration but it's basically the same situation that we see everywhere else and people who have had no choice but to flee and it's grassroots organizations who are doing the work responding it's not governments it's not the big organizations that you would think of it feels like there's a lot of supporters just everyday people who are starting to donate to choose love in the state so yeah, growing in America in the next couple of years is a, is a short-term plan. Amazing. It's, this is exactly it. There's a lot of stuff that we just we don't hear unless we're actively going out to find out information. It is not there. No, it's not. 
the news is not a true representative of what's happening in the world and then now with all the algorithms and everything it's you know it's, it's hard to find real true information mm. and to, to even know where to look for it. Josie what have you found since 2015 what what's the biggest lesson you've uh, learned about yourself? I guess like to have more confidence like five and a half years ago you if you'd have said to me you're going to be the CEO of a an organization that that works in 15 countries and you're gonna be asked to ask questions of the UN secretary general and uh, yeah I would never have imagined that that would have that would have happened so I've learned to have belief in myself and that that anything is possible do you know what I want to say that Coldplay might have lost a PA, but the world gained a gorgeous human being that is doing such great work. I just, I'm so, I'm so happy that we're getting to talk about the work you do today because I think everybody needs to be accountable for their place on this planet. And um, we can only do that if we, we think in a borderless way and we think... We think about ourselves all as equal and until everyone's equal, we need to keep going. Yeah, if I really want to like express that, that charity doesn't need to feel like this scary do-goody thing. I feel that Choose Love doesn't feel like that. It does feel like it's an organisation for now. Yeah. So at the end of the podcast, we always ask the same questions to our guests and I would like to put them to you. I would love to know a book that has informed your life. A book that has informed my life. My favourite books, but they're children's books, are His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. I love them. (laughs) I love them so much and I feel like the adventures that Lyra goes on and her bravery and all of those things, she's like my my inspiration. I'd love to know... I feel like with you, it's going to be a very different answer, but a trip that's changed your life. Mm. Well, every trip that I've done for work, so that first time I went to Calais or when I went to Turkey to the Syrian border for the first time and I met all of the organizations that we we work with who work in Syria and they're just so inspiring so, and, and all the different trips to different countries. But, but also in the last five years, I have been on like a personal journey as well and that has has helped me and helps me carry on doing this work I'd love to know a human that's made you who you are Uh, my mom yeah my mom is like pure love how about a love that's taught you the biggest lesson in life in my 20s I was engaged and it ended not very well and I was the most heartbroken person that you could ever imagine and actually when I went to do my interview at Coldplay I was like crying on the floor outside before I went in and I just for 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 a number of and I and I obviously ended up getting that that job but for a number of years I wasn't really okay and actually had that not happened I wouldn't be doing this now and it like it gave me my strength and going through that really hard breakup was the best thing that ever happened to me. Oh heartbreak it's funny actually because um when I spoke to skin it was a similar thing heartbreak I, everyone needs to go through it. And I'm, I'm talking yeah. that, uh, where you feel like every single, like you cannot go on. Your world has fallen apart oh. around you. It's horrific, isn't it? It's uh, my body right now. I can like feel the feeling and it's just, oh, it's just the worst. It's, it's, it's a form of grief. Yeah, it is. Let's, let's end this on a high. I'd love to know a track that soundtracks your life. Is it cheesy to say Whitney Houston, I want to no. dance with somebody? <laughs> it might be cheesy, but you've just said it. I have. There you go. That's my answer. Well, 
I can't thank you enough for this conversation because Aww. I think you're an absolute angel and the work that you do and everyone around you, the work they do is... is it's a big team effort. It, it's so needed and it, and I feel like the the joy and love that you put out in the world is, is completely... It's crucial, in fact. Um, so Aww. please keep doing that and uh, thank you thank so much you for talking. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful and I love you. <laughs> If you're enjoying this podcast, share, like, and please subscribe.